Welcome back to Brain Biohacking with your host, Kayla Barnes. We dive into all things optimal health, optimal brain health, nutrition, peak performance, cognitive excellence, biohacking, longevity, and so much more. Dr. Cole, it is such a pleasure to have you here with me today. I'm back. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's it's such a pleasure. Um, and, you know, it's great because you always come down and visit me at my clinic and town hall. So it's exciting. I feel like we get to see quite a bit of each other recently. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yeah. Thanks for always having me. Your team there at Live is just next level. And my team loves your team. Like we... I don't know if we said this last time, but I I brought my telehealth team several times out there just for a day day of wellness at Live, and they love it. They talk about it. We and we have to do coming up soon. It's coming on a year, so we have to do it again. I know. I love that. And just as a side note, you know, if you own a business or run a business, you guys should really take note from Dr. Cole because. I can't really think like if I didn't have these services already to let my team members use, I really can't think of a better gift to give them other than, you know, health optimization. I'm assuming yeah. you guys get back to the office, like really just ready to be super pro- productive. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're telehealth. So we don't have all the fancy gadgets, right? We typically, it's just not our, our space, but it's uh, like all things biohacking, next level technology stuff. We go to live. I love it. Well, definitely we'll see you soon, but today we're going to be talking about gut health. So you have a new book out. Um, It's been a few months now, but I'm so excited to talk about this with you because you're certainly an expert on gut health. And we know that the gut is probably one of the most important facets of health, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's paramount. And, you know, most people know, but the gut and brain are formed from the same fetal tissue. So when babies are growing in their mother's womb, the gut and brain are formed from the same fetal tissue. About 95% of serotonin is made in the gut, our happy neurotransmitter, 50% of dopamine, our pleasure neurotransmitter is made in the gut, stored in the gut. And they work upon GI motility, right? Gut movement. They work upon the vagus nerve, which is a large part of our work with the telehealth center is improving vagal tone because a lot of people have dysregulation of their neuroamino endocrine axis, the intersection between their nervous system, which the gut plays a major role of that, the immune system, which the gut plays a major role of that, about 75% of the immune system is in the gut. Inflammation is a product of the immune system and the endocrine system, which the gut plays a major role in that too, our hormones. So it is a pivotal role and the vagus nerve plays a, a, it's kind of a central connector, if you will, between those systems. So yeah, it's paramount. And people don't realize that oftentimes you don't have to have necessarily extreme or overt digestive symptoms to have underlying gut components to why they feel the way that they do. They may think, oh, yeah, I go to the bathroom all right. I don't really, that's not a major issue for me, but they have anxiety or they have fatigue or they have, um, you know, any inflammatory problem. And there's a lot of gut centric components to why people feel the way that they do. So it's an essential, essential component to make sure that you're optimizing. Absolutely. I agree. I mean, it's definitely the foundation. So, well, you know, this might be a little bit interesting to talk about, but 
For anyone that's not sure if they have gut issues, what are just some of the main symptoms that you could look for outside of maybe the more nuanced things like anxiety? But what should people be looking for if they're like, oh, I wonder if I need a gut test? Yeah. Well, I mean, you could start with digestion. I think that, I mean, we don't want to overlook it. There is an epidemic rise of digestive problems, gut health problems, and uh, direct gut health problems, primary gut health problems. And it starts with bowel movements, right? It's, it's using that taboo topic that people don't want to talk about as a window into what may be going on. So normal is two to three snakes a day, as we say it. So the Bristol chart kind of looks at formation. And so as far as frequency and formation, and as far as your bowel movements, it should be two to three snakes a day. And if it's less than that, or more than that, or as far as frequency is concerned, or the formation, if it's always, if it's like a, people call it like rabbit, rabbit pellets, or if it's like soft, soft serve ice cream, I've heard every analogy you can think of from patients. Oh, it looks like soft serve ice cream, or it's like incomplete, like rabbit pellet. That's a check engine light that something's going on in your body. And I think you just start there because many people aren't, they're, they're, they go every two to three days, or it's always loose or always irritated. And just because it's their everyday, they normalize it in their mind, but it's actually not. It's a sign your body's screaming at you and saying, pay attention. But then from there, because it's 75% of the immune system, there's a lot of inflammatory issues. I mean, if you look at pretty much every health problem under the sun, there's research to show a microbiome gut health component to it. When you look at things like heart disease and many types of cancers to um, I've talked about hormones. Uh, many, many of our hormones are converted. About 20% of the thyroid hormone is converted in the gut um, to brain health issues, which, which we mentioned, anxiety, depression, brain fog, fatigue, many research studies looking at gut, the gut's implication in that and autoimmunity at, at large. There's so many studies looking at gut health and autoimmunity. So that's a lot of people, sadly. Uh, but to to ignore the gut's role in these issues is uh, mis it's misleading. You're going to get an incomplete perspective of why you feel the way that you do unless you look at these upstream root issues. Absolutely. And what type of what type of gut test do you guys do at your clinic? We do blood and stool tests primarily that looks at the landscape of the microbiome. We can kind of get a good idea of the good bacteria, any bacterial overgrowth, either, you know, opportunistic or pathogenic bacteria that are oftentimes, they can be inflammatory to the immune system. They can increase intestinal permeability or leaky gut syndrome. They're kind of like weeds that overgrow in this gut garden. Some of them are normal, but they're just overgrowing. So we see a lot of SIBO cases, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. But then we see H. pylori and other pathogenic bacteria in high levels that again, you may have digestive symptoms, but maybe they don't, maybe they're not extreme digestive symptoms, maybe subtle ones, subtle bloating, subtle IBS symptoms, but it's really the downstream mood issues or inflammatory autoimmune problems or fatigue issues, uh, and that the gut is fueling, um, and perpetuating. So blood tests can give you a good, or stool tests, sorry, can give you a good landscape of the microbes in the gut. Look at measure things like zonulin, which can also be measured via blood, but looking at the protein that governs gut lining permeability. So think of the, the Z in zonulin, like a zipper, that's kind of things 
you see increased activity antibodies against zonulin, increased zonulin activity could be indicative of things passing through the gut that should not be able to pass through the gut, like undigested food proteins, which can trigger food sensitivities for people and those bacterial toxins. Um, so that's, and we could also measure digestion and absorption via stool and measuring uh, different uh, immune markers like beta-glucuronidase and calprotectin, these sort of inflammatory markers in the gut. Uh, and then blood tests can also confirm some of this stuff uh, as well as looking at food sensitivities if it's appropriate there. Uh, so it's gonna be a combination of different biomarkers. You never wanna hang your hat on one lab and make that sort of a blanket indictment on the person's life, right? Because these are all snapshots in time. And you always want to put the labs in context with other labs if you have access to it, and obviously the, how the person is feeling, right? Because these things exist on a spectrum. Uh, so context matters, I think, with labs. And as you know, every few years, there's new advancements in diagnostic medicine. So we are always trying to stay in the cutting edge as far as getting a window into these facets, whether it's gut health or something else. Absolutely. So I have to ask you, have you ever seen a perfect gut test? <laughs> I've seen near perfect, but let me, no, there's, I, I think that's a good point. A few things come up in my mind. One is that I think that's a great, a lot of the biohacking mindset is like it's perfection mm -hmm. and they want to only see perfection and that, that there's going to arrive one day at perfection. And I think that's a really important point that I find myself oftentimes telling them is that health and health, health on earth is always in flux. And these are all snapshots in time. So you may have a great looking stool test one time. And I see great looking stool tests after protocols all the time, but you may test it again. And there's things to work on because it's called living in a modern world <laughs> and food, but also stress and sleep exposure to stuff. So it's not, even if you do get perfect at one point, it doesn't mean it's always, there's never going to be think, something to work on and you just are a demigod or a demigoddess and you can float around all day. It, it's always, it's, it's a, it's the process of supporting your health ongoing. But what I want to say is you can get your, you can get your gut health lab te test or your blood test or your urine saliva test, whatever you're measuring, you can get it in a great looking human way right? You can get it mostly in the optimal range. And then there may be a few things that are incrementally off. They're like tenths of a point off. And then for the type A obsessive personality, maybe, no, I want it all perfect. Well, okay, maybe you can work on that. Or maybe don't stress about it. Maybe realize that it's a snapshot in time and we're looking at data points in very finite periods of time. And you put it in context with how you feel. If you feel great, how's your sleep? How's your uh, how's your energy levels? How's your digestion? How's your cognitive function? Uh, those are the things that that ultimately matter. So I don't know if that answered your question. We get it to as perfect as you can get while still being human. Yeah, that's a great answer. Um, because honestly, we don't see a ton of perfect tests. It's just, it's interesting because the gut is just so complicated, you know, and mm -hmm. stress and life and toxins, as you mentioned, actually, you'd be really proud of me. I just uh, did a total tox burden. I got my results back this morning. And this is what I will say. You know me pretty well. And I go so far out of my way to live a very healthy life from zero, 
you know, non-organic foods to my home is checked for mold and mycotoxins. I only drink reverse osmosis water. My products are all clean. And the test came back really good. So there was, I did the, the vibrant total tox burden. There was nothing in the high range, but it's amazing to me that I still had a little bit of glyphosate in my sample. And it's just, it has to either be, I've narrowed it down either. I'm not changing my shower water filter enough, or this stuff is just airborne. I mean, because I know for sure I'm not consuming glyphosate or at least the products are marketed as not having glyphosate in them. So a, it's interesting. I was pretty happy with the results, but um, it's amazing because no matter how hard I do sauna every single day, I know you love sauna too, but literally saunaing every day, I do the ozone sauna that we have here that's seven times more powerful. So I'm detoxing all the time, but it just shows, you know, and this is not to be fear mongering, but that we are living in a really toxic environment. Yeah. Absolutely. I see that as well. And look, you're a 0.0001% of the population. And so I think people should give themselves a little bit of grace right there. And that's what I see too. I see these trace amounts of glyphosate. And as I'm always telling people, it's like, it's not healthy to have an herbicide coming out of your urine. And I mean, it's not healthy, but it's, you have to understand that that's the majority of the population actually has way more than you have. (laughs) So, which isn't not normal, but certainly ubiquitous. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. So. You talk a lot about, and you talked in your presentation when you actually came to Town Hall about how toxins can affect the gut. So what are some of the top toxins? Um, Obviously, glyphosate is one that I just mentioned, but what are you seeing a lot like in clinic in terms of toxins and how does that affect the gut? Mm. Well, I mean, if you're looking at herbicides and pesticides, like glyphosate being the most famous one, right? But there are many other types of herbicides and pesticides that we can measure on um, blood and urine tests. And these are decimators to the microbiome. I mean, they are, they kill the good microbes and they were in many ways are even worse than antibiotics, right? I mean, you think of them as antibiotics and everybody knows, well, yeah, that can hurt your good microbes too. And, but some of those really focus on the pathogenic bacteria more and are a little bit more specific. I know there's exceptions to that, but these things really harm everything the glyphosates and the other herbicides and pesticides. So they really can be decimators to the microbiome balance and increase intestinal permeability or leaky gut syndrome, which we mentioned earlier. Other environmental toxins other than herbicides and pesticides, we see flame retardants. We see jet fuel, like byproducts of fuel and gasoline in people's bodies. Um, Again, to kind of repeat what you said, not to be fear-mongering, but just to know that's what's at play here. And people have their food dialed in or, you know, they work out at the gym, but they don't realize that, okay, these things can be cumulative. We're talking in those cases, low grade exposure over time that people have. So maybe they've been on this wellness journey for the past two or three years and it's doing them a lot of favors, right? But they're not really digging as deep as they need to, to deal with the things they've dealt with they haven't dealt with for decades prior to their healthier lifestyle. And um, yes, e- eating cleaner and you know moving your body, sweating supports natural detoxification pathways. So it is moving the needle in a positive direction. And that's what I find is that our patients, when they meet us, they are better than most Americans are. But we are needing to dig deeper 
with different protocols and modalities and tools like infrared sauna to be, and be consistent with it as well. And not just do it here and there when you're at a wellness weekend, but really make it and cultivating it as part of your lifestyle to move the needle on these labs. And we can get the numbers pretty low. Um, you know, we can get their glyphosate to trace amounts and, and removing these things out. And I will agree with you that I, even when we do that, we still see trace amounts of glyphosate because it's everywhere. Uh, so you have to make your life a detox. You have to make your life a cleanse and not just do a cleanse. And many people are thinking, I'm just going to do three weeks of this or four weeks of that. No, you have to really make this part of your lifestyle. Yeah. And honestly, it's so unfair that all of these chemicals and toxins are are in our environment, you know, mycotoxins, mold. I mean, I had no mold or mycotoxins, but I have to work so hard. I like keep air, uh Ermi's tests at home, like stockpiled to make sure that I don't have, you know, mold in the house or in this environment. So, I mean, um, yeah, it's just, it's really unfair that we have to take such drastic measures, but I think sauna into my daily routine is like one of the best things I've ever done. It's so relaxing, helps my sleep. And it just feels like you're doing something so nice for yourself. So there's a lot of different options now too, that I love like those sauna blankets, and then you can do like a, a regular sauna. So Okay, mm-hmm. we have toxins on the gut. What about um emotions? This is mm. where you know you really have great insight into emotional health and the gut connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's reason why I called the latest book Gut Feelings is because I really wanted to, well, on a surface level, that cliche of gut feelings or I feel it in my gut or butterflies in my stomach or gut instincts somehow with it throughout human existence, it's been part of the you know, human lexicon of somehow describing the gut being the seed of the soul. And even if you look at traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine and many indigenous medicines, you'll they'll look at the gut being the sort of central root, the root chakra, right? The 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 um Hippocrates, even the founder of modern medicine, said all disease begins in the gut. And Paracelsus, father of toxicology, talked about the gut. Many of these guys did not have randomized control trials. They did not have like placebo controlled trials, but they knew that the gut was played a major role in our health. But it also had this sort of esoteric, mental, like spiritual component to it. Um, and I think the brain and the mind, the vagus nerve is part of that. And somehow that, that's part of what they saw. Um, but now we know it's not just physiologically strong strictly physiological that the other layer why i called it the book this is like we have to look at both gut and feelings the physiological and the mental emotional spiritual and the crosstalk the bi-directional relationship between both so the underlying gut issues the physiological things that we've been talking about in conversation nutrient deficiencies environmental toxins biotoxins like mold and Bacteria and viruses can release these biotoxins too. Those things will impact our mood. But the feeling side of gut feelings, when you're looking at research in the scientific literature around chronic stress and unresolved trauma and how those things will be literally stored in the body, impacting inflammation, dysregulating that neuroendocrine axis that we talked about earlier, that you can quantify these things that are seem abstract, that seem a little bit woo-woo, right? When you talk about unresolved trauma and you know mind-body practices, seems like it's not clinical, 
and measurable, but it is measurable on labs. When you look at the research of how these issues impact things like inflammation, impacting our endocrine system, impacting our gut health. So it is profoundly important because when you're dealing with the patient base that I'm dealing with, with, with autoimmune issues and these complex, what the world may call mystery illnesses where they are beyond the basics, you have to deal with the feeling side of gut feelings. Um, so it's integrated into every protocol we have for patients because it's profoundly important directly and indirectly, meaning that it will help move the needle on labs directly by dealing with the mental, emotional side. And that could look like breath work. It could look like meditation for some people. It could look like somatic practices, grounding practices. It could look like EMDR, which is the type of therapy for some people. Whatever is needed, we're going to integrate different tools within the toolbox to deal with what I I call the metaphysical meals. Like it's like the, we have to treat these mind body mental, emotional, spiritual things like we do our food. And what are we serving our head and our heart, not just what we're serving our body with breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that's kind of the level of importance that we have to give it. Whether you're dealing with an autoimmune issue, brain health issue, hormonal problem, or just want to support longevity, you have to look at this because we can see uh, see it play out in labs. And many people that have cleaned up their diet, that eat cleaner, that take all the supplements, but haven't dealt with these mental, emotional, spiritual things, they're better off than they were, but they're stuck at a plateau. But it's when you deal with these often overlooked, especially in the biohacking world, right? It's like, oh, it's it's non-linear, right? And it's non-prescriptive. It's a little bit more abstract. So we don't give it the credibility and the gravity that it that it warrants. And we don't look at it. And we're better, but we're still stuck. We still have these lingering things. I've seen so many people's labs improve tremendously when they have a both and, not an either or approach. So yeah, it, it's important, I guess, in short. I agree. I love when you say you can't heal a body you hate. I think that's so important. And it's just so true. I mean, you can literally do all of the things, perfect routine, perfect, you know, dietary choices. But if you're not happy and you're constantly feeling tr- stressed and have this level of just unwell or mental unrest, I see it all the time too. You know, patients HRV and their their metrics are just completely reduced. And then when they improve, it gets better. So I couldn't agree more. Can you talk a little bit about biotoxins, what they are, what role they have in gut health? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is something we see a lot. Uh, we, we, there's always the caveat and the context around this is that there's so much bioindividuality, right? We talked about environmental toxins, we talked about gut health issues, talked about shame and trauma. So much of it is how the person experiences it and their own bioindividuality. So that applies to something like a childhood. Like we look at adverse childhood experiences, events. We, you could have two siblings that experience the same thing and respond to it in a completely different way. So it's that nature nurture combination between that person's bioindividuality and that experience. So that applies to trauma, but it also applies to biotoxins. So biotoxins, if you break that word, it's like basically biological toxins or natural toxins, which are just nature, they're toxic to the human body in high levels, but also toxic to the body based on that person's own biochemistry, meaning things like bacteria release toxins, lipopolysaccharides or bacterial endotoxins released from bacteria, toxic to the human body in high levels. Viruses release biotoxins, parasites can release biotoxins, and mold release biotoxins called mycotoxins. 
So we have to look at the interplay between genetics and epigenetics to really understand this because bacteria, viruses, and mold are everywhere. And I don't want to be, you know, uh, fear-mongering about, or, you know, uh, hyperbolic about things like this. They are part of nature. But some people's biochemistry are more sensitive or more likely to be more sensitive than others. When you're looking at HLA gene variants or the human leukocyte antigen, it's a gene that impacts basically the, the body's response to different bacteria, viruses, and mold toxins, and other things like venom, actually, insect venom. Um, so we can look at the genetic variability there. And the analogy that I use for patients is like that bucket analogy, right? It's some people have big buckets, some people have smaller buckets. When we're looking at methylation and detoxification and HLA gene variants, the more haplotypes, the more heterozygous and homozygous gene variants you have, the more that that proverbial bucket is smaller, and meaning that you're going to hit the tipping point easier. That when you're looking at unresolved trauma and stress and environmental toxins and mold and bacteria and viruses and gut problems and nutrient deficiencies, you're going to overflow a little bit more easily compared to somebody with a bigger bucket. You can't change your bucket size, but you can change what you put in it. And that's what you and I, what our work is centered around, right? It's understanding bioindividuality, but also what can we do to empty that bucket? Some people have a harder time than others. Some people don't have the wiggle room and the resilience and the threshold like this, they have a tinier threshold uh, that's going to overflow easier. And then they're the ones that look around and like, oh my gosh, like my family and my friends don't do half of what I do, yet they're not quote unquote paying for it. Like I, they don't get away with, they can get away with it seemingly. But in many ways, our patients are like canaries in the coal mine, right? Like it's not healthy to have glyphosate in the body for anybody. It's not healthy to have high levels of mold or other environmental toxins or a gut problem for anybody. They're going to pay for it sooner or later, right? And that's where later on in life, these chronic diseases like cancer, which is plaguing our world, heart disease is plaguing our world. These things that are older, what the world would, at least at one point, we'd consider a later age, chronic degenerative issues. Many of our patients that have these methylation, HLA detox issues get triggered, these health problems earlier. But it's a wake-up call, hopefully, for us as a human race to say, we, whether you're paying for it now or later, what can we do to start moving the needle in the positive direction? So more, I guess, to answer your question is just understanding we have to look at biotoxins as a component, as for some people at least, on why they feel the way that they do. And it's often overlooked because they'll go to a standard doctor and they'll say, yeah, you know, mold's fine. It's not that big of a deal. Or they'll even go to home inspectors or they'll go to um, people in the um, contracting world. And then it's all about when you're talking about mold, it's all about aesthetics, right? It's all about, well, just paint over it. <laughs> but if someone's mold sensitive, you don't just paint over it. You don't just do a half job to get this stuff remediated because if you're low grade, even low grade exposed to this, when your immune system's hypervigilant and triggered by this, and if you're more on a bio-individual genetic standpoint, more biotoxin sensitive, it's a missing piece for many people's health puzzle. Uh, so yeah, I see it oftentimes trigger autoimmune issues, trigger fatigue, anxiety, skin issues, digestive problems, um, because it is a stressor. We have to look at both physiological and psychological stressors for people that are struggling with these complex health issues. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, once you've seen so many patients with 
mold issues and how it affects them. I mean, I'm like checking in. I think they should completely get rid of front loading washers completely because mm -hmm. this has, you know, it gets like mold in that little ring around it. Um, I'm actually, I'm going to send you something. So I was talking to a building biologist and he does all of his clothes washing with ozone, like a unit that you like attach to the washer. I'm going to get this in my new house. Yeah. Um, but that seems like a good, because mold just hides out in these places that you wouldn't even expect it. So, right. Great. It's, you're absolutely true. And the people that are aware of the sick homes, right. The people that live, that, that people live in. And then I hear all the time where they'll say, well, my house is new. And they think that's, it couldn't be my house. And then we get a trained home inspector in there and they'll find levels of mold in HVACs and air conditioning systems or in washers or in other places that you, or behind the walls, like damp lumber that was used during the construction that never fully dried out. And the mold is so microscopic that it's it's going through the walls. Um, and these low grade, again, it doesn't have to be high mold, even though we've seen horror stories where it actually was high mold in many cases, but not necessarily for somebody that has already, we mentioned environmental toxins, right? We have to understand there are other variables that are contributing to that bucket overflow. It's not just about the mold, but it's a combination. It's a perfect storm of variables where the mold could be the tipping point that had that bucket overflowing, but it really is other things in the, in the body as well that we have to do whatever we can to look at all the variables that are contributing to that bucket overflow or that tipping point of symptoms. Yeah. And it is, it's so true. It's bio-individual because you can have two individuals, husband, wife, you know, family living in the same house and one person react completely differently. I mean, we see that all the time. Um, you know, the kids can be fine. The wife is maybe fine, but then the husband is really, really sick or vice versa. So just because other people in your household aren't necessarily as impacted, it doesn't necessarily rule out like molds or things of that nature. We didn't really talk about like heavy metals, but what about heavy metals effects on gut health and just overall health? Yeah, well, it's huge. It's, it's massive. It's another factor, right? It's we have to kind of look at environmental toxins as a whole. And that's why it's good to not be myopic and say, well, we've read the research on, you know, this herbicide or this pesticide, or we, it's mold. We see that a lot. You know, it's that, that, that cliche of when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You, you need to have way, as a functional medicine practitioner, as somebody that's a, you know, an expert in wellness, you have to have more than just a hammer. And for some people, yeah, mold may be ubiquitous in people that have certain methylation or HLA gene variants, but not everybody has those. And for some people, you have to ask questions like, where did you work? What, where did you live um, that you could pick these things up? And sometimes it has nothing to do with their job or where they live. It's just living in a modern world. But health history will tell you a lot as far as what type of labs should be ran and good guesses as to why. What you may be what you what you may be finding, but ultimately, you don't know until you test, mm -hmm. because you really can find the most surprising things sometimes, even with the best health history, and really catch things like heavy metals on on a lab because of a drinking water or because of a past job or where they lived, um, whatever reason. But we know it's a uh, irritant to the body. It can raise inflammation levels, uh, it, it cause thyroid issues, even beyond like strictly gut health issues. It really very much can impact thyroid hormone communication, the conversion of T4 to T3, the sensitivity on it as far as a receptor site is concerned. It can create hormonal resistance patterns. 
not just thyroid resistance, but insulin resistance, leptin resistance, and other types of resistance patterns. So from a cellular health, heavy metals are a, a really a, can be a massive problem for many people. Yeah, I uh, I agree with that too. And, you know, I, I see a common sources in the mouth, like, you know, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So I have a biological dentist and he told oh, me- I met, I met him. Yes, you great. did. Do- okay, Dr. Colgan, yeah. exactly. He's amazing. He's going to come on the podcast, but he told me, he said, you know, mercury for fillings comes in on a biohazard truck and it leaves on a biohazard truck. But for some reason, in between the arrival and departure on biohazard trucks, we've deemed them acceptable to put into our mouth. I yeah. mean, this it's, is why. Yeah. It is absolutely. And we can accumulate in fat tissues, which are phospholipid membrane. So membrane is made up of fat. So yeah, it's it's insane industry, right? That we're not looking at this, well, biological dentists are, and we're looking at it in our space. But the fact that this is, so uh, uh, obvious that it's we are dinosaurs in many spaces within within these, but we're still doing world. We're still doing it this way. I mean, now we know amalgam fillings aren't really done so much anymore, um, but they'll still keep it in your mouth. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And as a side note, it's just if anyone does have fillings, I mean, you might be like, oh, I need to get these out immediately, but definitely worth visiting someone. You can just look up biological dentists or Dr. Cole, some of your patients, you might have a referral or Dr. Kogan is who I see yeah. um, in Ohio, but there's a really important way to remove them. I, I'm not an right. expert on that, but you got to make sure you do it the right way or else have to do it the right way. Can leach in. It's, it's kind of an understood in the industry that it's almost better to keep it in your mouth as a amalgam filling if you're not going to properly remove it Mm -hmm. that's how toxic these things are is that swallowing it on accident breathing it in um that's why like diaphragm like mouth guards hepa filters like they biological dentists really apply the proper steps to safely remove these amalgam fillings so yeah, we actually will have some of his patients do ozone sauna prior day of and then day after to just help, you know, detox. And of course, he's doing his whole thing um, the right way. So yeah, really important. Um, gut health is everything. So we'll definitely include some links to your practice and everything. But I want to talk about I want to talk about a few other things. So um, I want to talk about parenting with you. So as you know, I'm now in a relationship, I want to be a parent in the very near future. Um, you have amazing kids. I mean, if anyone hasn't, if anyone's listening and hasn't listened to Dr. Cole's son, Solomon's podcast, it's wax on wax off. And I just love it. I mean, he's 16. He's doing 75 hard. He's like hanging out with my partner, uh, Bobby George, just like immersed in business talk wants to like learn everything. How did you do it? What's, what's the, what's the tricks to raising great kids? He loves you guys too. And thank you for being on his podcast. It meant the world to him. You were his favorite guest, even uh-huh. above me. My entire family, everybody listens to this podcast, like loved your episode. So uh, we, we, we had fun brainstorming like the, it's like, dad, I want to learn from like people older than me. Like, and I was like, it's kind of like karate kid. Like it's kind of like the modern day Mr. Miyagi. And that's where the whole concept of wax out, wax out podcast came from of just being teachable, right. And being open to learn. And I think it's like a lost art in our culture that we, a just don't 
respect our elders. And, you know, I'm calling myself an elder, <laughs> you an elder, but like even us, like we don't look at the generation older than us. And as a culture, we don't revere people where it traditionally indigenously, that was the opposite, right? We, we looked at people that have done more than us and lived longer than us. And we revered them as pillars of society. So that's kind of the genesis of what, how that podcast came to be. But I answer your question, I don't know. I think a lot of it, you talk about nature and nurture. I just, I'm blessed by his soul as a, like, I can't take credit fully because he's just an awesome kid and my daughter's awesome as well. So I think part of it is, is nature. And even with the best parents, sometimes you just can't control everything and you kind of have to give give each other grace as parents and realize most most parents are trying to do the best they can. Um, but I don't know. I, I think as far as the nurture, which certainly plays a part of it, I I think being free thinkers and, and kind of always reading to them and whether it's audiobooks or reading to them before bed or and, and discussing it as a family, I do think that that is a something that I can think as being pivotal in the development of how Solomon and Shiloh are. Um, is reading. I think most people are on their phones too much and they're consuming this really junk information. And we love social media, right? We connect with people around the world. I'm not demonizing social media as a whole, but I think sort of the junk food content, it's just too much of it and not enough edification going on here. So I think healthy boundaries around what we consume uh, is huge and getting off of technology and reading an actual book. There's a place for audiobooks. I think it's wonderful. There's a place for longer form conversations and content and podcasts. Wonderful. But it's also a place to completely unplug and just pick up a t- pick an actual book. Um, but Solomon, I think since he's been young, both of my kids, it's they're listening to podcasts. They're listening. Or watch, we watch a lot of documentaries. So we're not <laughs> avoiding technology. They're listening to podcasts and documentaries, reading lots of books. Uh, and and audiobooks. I think that's huge. And then they another piece is they were off of their cell, they did not have cell phones until they were 15. Like Solomon just got a cell phone at 16 years old. Like he yeah, did not have a cell phone. Only. I love that. So, I yeah. So that. that's huge. I just think it's like, I think of like how I grew up in the 90s. Let's just bring it back to the 90s. Like I don't have to be Amish, I don't want to live off the grid. But let's just bring it back to the 90s. And I think if you look at the research of many autoimmune issues, chronic health issues, mental health issues, really can be taken back to the onset of a lot of these things just past the 90s. So I think we need to wake up not only as parents, but as people on we are living out of alignment with our biochemistry. I'm not saying get rid of them entirely, but we just need to have a better relationship with with technology and the things we're doing in this world. So those are some things that um, I can think about. And my wife's amazing too. So I, I give her most of the credit. I love that. Well, it seems like too, and I don't know how long you've been doing this, but ever since I've known you, you always bring them with you, you know, so you like show yeah. them so many cool things and introduce them to really interesting people. And yeah, they're very much just like little adults, like they can hold their own in a conversation or if they're not talking, they're like really observant. So I mm-hmm. think, you know, you've done a really good job. Um, Thank so you. Congratulations. Yeah, that's huge. That, I appreciate that. It means a lot to me coming from you. 
And I do th- agree with that. Like, the, I know not everybody has the ability to, not everybody travels to work, A, mm-hmm. and B, not everybody has the ability to bring their kids to work. But certainly, I know a lot of people that aren't in the industry that I'm in, but when they go on trips, they don't bring their kids. And I'm not saying there's not a time and place for adults to do adult things, but it's I, it was more inconvenient for me for many times where to bring them like it would be easier for me to go by myself and just get the if it's a work trip or a vacation it was important for me because i saw it as immersive for them so it's like every city i'd be in i could go and take them to something cultural or go something something historical or meet interesting people that they never would meet so i think it's easier for us as parents to put our kids in front of a screen and to leave them at home and i just think we're doing our kids a disservice yeah i agree well I love, yeah, I'm just like, he's literally in cryotherapy. He's in the hyperbaric chamber. He's like, he says live is like one of his favorite places. I mean, what other 16 year old do you know that a uh, longevity optimization clinic is your favorite place? I mean, this is, yeah, he has like a little baby coffee, like an espresso. I'm <laughs> like, does. I'm he like, does. I need to step up my game right now. So I'm like, he does the cold plunge every morning. I mean, this kid is. He's next level, man. He's next level. <laughs> he really is. Okay, so what is your current health optimization routine? I see some snippets on, of it on Instagram, but walk us through a day in the life of Dr. Will Cole. Uh, recently, I got, you know, I've been in telehealth. I, I basically sit in this room for 10 hours a day. I uh, recently, I don't know why I didn't sooner. Did, I, I don't know why I didn't do it sooner is a standing desk and a walk, a treadmill. I walk an obscene amount of time during the day. Like nine, I, I've walked nine hours <laughs> in a day. I'm oh seeing God. patients from there. I'm writing, I'm writing, answering emails. And I'm like, you know what? If I'm going to be in this room all day long, better late than never. Cause shame on me. I should have done it earlier, but uh, it's been a game changer for me to get at a, like I, I could walk to, I'm in Western Pennsylvania. I could walk to you in Cleveland with no problem. <laughs> the amount of time that I'm walking during the day. I love that. It's so funny. I literally just added that. My friend, um, you know, I think you know Dr. Casey from Level. She has one at her house. Nice yeah. over there uh, in California a month or so ago. And I was really inspired. So I agree with that. So you have the walking desk, but you do sauna every day, right? You oh, yeah, yeah. House, so I, like, you have a bunch I of will there. do, yeah. I've kind of turned my house into... I live in the middle of nowhere in the woods and I've turned it into a little wellness spa and um, I have an infrared sauna. I have a cold plunge. I have my weights. I have my cycle. I have my rower. I have my treadmill. So a lot of it's basic stuff, right? Um, But like the cold plunge and the sauna are amazing for me. And then there's some free stuff like getting out in nature is is a massive one for me of just being in nature is completely free and it's top of my list for the most effective tool to improve my well-being on many levels i mean we know the research of you know shinrin yoku the japanese term of forest bathing of using nature as a meditation and using nature as a medicine of breathing in the essential oils breathing in the microbiome of of nature and it's the studies that show i talk about it and got feelings of it's shifting by breathing in Nature, you can shift our your microbiome and improve these beneficial microbes to improve your mood and improve your immune system. Um, so yeah, it's and I, I get to do it all at home, which I'm very very thankful for because I know some people 
live in an urban setting or right get have to go and drive somewhere. So uh, I, I, if I could advocate anybody to move to the country, I would say try to do that. <laughs> I agree, and I I know you and I have talked about, but yeah, my uh, dream is to have like a place in Montana in the middle of nowhere. But I agree with that. You know, it's like so funny because. I have access to all this stuff, hyperbaric chamber and PMF and red light. But I really like, especially during the summer months when I can, when there's sunshine, I shift everything mostly to spend my time because I only have so much, you know, expendable time to be outside, just walking Mm -hmm. at the beach, getting steps in sunshine. So you really don't have to do a whole bunch. And even the park I go to has all of this workout equipment. So people are like doing pull-ups and, you know, you can Mm -hmm. find that stuff really just about anywhere. So you can definitely make it more low cost, but, um, yeah, I love to see you doing your little yeah. sauna and wait. And you, like you said, like they have for patients where if it's a space issue or a cost issue, you can get a sauna blanket. You could do an Epsom salt bath for lower cost options. If you can't, if you can't get the fancy cold plunge then get just a cold shower or get a, like a ice chest and fill it up with water. Like I have so many friends that do like the lower cost options or patients do a lower cost option. So you don't have to have the higher end things. It's nice if you have access to it because they maybe they're, you know, they're like, clean, like self-cleaning or or it's like the next level of it. But I'd rather be a pragmatist and say, well, what can you do? And it could be hugely beneficial. Or like you said, you you live on near the lake or Great Lake. Go jump in the lake in the winter. It's like you can you can get to natural bodies of water for these benefits as well. Yeah, I agree. Um, a question about diet. So, you know, the debate about dairy, where do you stand on this? I don't think I've ever asked you this question. If it's like raw dairy, what's your opinion? There's it's I've seen everything under the sun here. So I I it when you're talking about dairy, the same or with grains or eggs, it's very much bioindividuality here. So I think it exists on a spectrum. You have like standard dairy milk that's homogenized and pasteurized and fed grains on one end of the spectrum. And then all the way to the other end is like sheep, like cultured fermented sheep, goat or camel milk, <laughs> A2 milk on one end. I'm so on I that. think, the, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so what they're fed, what type of animal, well, let's just say this, what type of animal, what they're fed, and then is it cultured or not, which breaks down the, the dairy protein. And then that's who's consuming it, right? So some people, even on the good end of like a cultured, organic, grass-fed sheep's cheese, that's, you know, they, they some people can still react to that. It's less likely you're going to, more people are going to respond well to that one than the other end of like the homogenized, pasteurized, grain-fed cow. So it depends on the person and then what they're consuming and then how much are they consuming it too. So I think some people, their immune system is just so reactive that even the best form of dairy can be problematic for a time. But then you work on their gut health, you work on emptying that bucket by dealing with environmental toxins, dealing with, you know, biotoxins, dealing with stress and trauma, then the dang sheep's cheese isn't going to matter so much. Like maybe they responded to it at the beginning because their body was so pissed off about everything, (laughs) but it wasn't the sheep cheese fault or the goat milk's fault. It's everything else that was overloading that bucket. So I think that's sort of the context of how I see things like dairy, not just dairy, but things like eggs with, you know, is the chicken eggs, like a, a duck eggs, 
uh, people tend to respond better to that, or even grains, which many people can demonize grains. But I think once you empty the bucket significantly, there are better for you versions of even grains that can work well for people um, who whoever chooses to eat those. What grains do you like? I don't really eat very many grains myself, but many of my patients want to, right? They don't want to be grain free. Or let me give you the the variables. I do best with white rice when I have it because I have sushi at town hall Mm -hmm. and I love it. So white rice is one of the first grains that I bring back in uh, for people that are off grains and reintroduce it. Um, But Many people, it's not like it's a necessity, right? It's not like you're, you're missing out on some micronutrient mineral or some macronutrient. It's really not that because you can get more like polyphenols, antioxidants, and fibers from fruits and vegetables than you can from any grain. But it's more of the quote unquote pleasure or flexibility of food that some people want. You know, these people that aren't demigoddesses like you that actually that you know <laughs> that that want to enjoy a piece of sourdough bread and then we have to like be pragmatists and say like all right what what's the better for you option not that you need it but you may want it and does it love you back or not um so i find that when we empty the bucket so to speak with lots of other things if they want to have that ancient grain or that rice or that sourdough it's not the end of the world. I wouldn't make it anyone's foundation of their meal, but we're talking about just like preferences. Yeah. I um I haven't had bread or grains or rice or anything like that in so long, but I did know um a woman who had like an amazing bakery that did sourdough. So I think, uh, you know, sourdough is probably better if you're going to do that, but mm-hmm. Well, as usual, this has been an amazing conversation. Um, and you know, just as a side note too, it's so weird to me that raw milk is like illegal or something. It, you know, it's just ridiculous. I mean, totally. Certain states, yeah. Yeah, I have to actually get it from Pittsburgh and then bring it over here because for some reason you can sell Lucky Charms and you can sell like, you know, syrup that with like fruit loops in it and all this other stuff. And that's fine. But I have to like go across state lines. Hopefully yeah. I'm not going to be like, have a police officer knocking at my door after this, but <laughs> and to get some yeah. raw milk delivered, it's crazy. I know it. It's, they have to have like co-ops and they have ways around it. And then some states aren't like you can get it in air one, I think, right? In like California, health California which is interesting for me because they're draconian in every other way. But it's it's the laws are weird. State laws are weird. Uh, they need to get get up with the times. I agree. Um, and they have to label it for cats and dogs. You'll you'll think this is funny. Yes. I, I used to order it for um, my partner, Bobby, and he was like, what is this, Kayla? It says for cats and dogs. And it was really just like raw key fair, but like legally they had to write that on there. So very. Yeah. This is the world we live in where healthy food is demonized and overly regulated. And it's the opposite for the things that are actually killing us. I couldn't agree more. So, well, thank you so much, doctor. It was great to chat with you and I look forward to seeing you soon. Likewise. Hacking was created and is hosted by Kayla Barnes. This podcast is for informational purposes only and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Kayla Barnes, does not accept responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of the information contained herein. 
Opinions of their guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical issue, consult a licensed physician.